That's one, one aspect of the, of the equation. The second aspect of the equation. So now we said, we know that there's something beyond the ability to manipulate nature. So if you believe that there is more to being a human being than your ability to manipulate nature, then you're going to start seeing the limit of natural science and something else. And that something else is supposed to be covered by that other field called faith. This is where the faith comes in. And it's supposed to tell you what are you supposed to do to perfect yourself as a human being. So your answer that they're not competing, absolutely, they are not competing. They're not meant to compete. They're looking at two different things. They're each a different kind of glasses. One of them is looking at one thing, and then you remove it, and you wear the other glasses. You're looking at the same human being. But one of them is looking at how they function in a natural science way, and the other one is supposed to tell you what makes them a better human being. What's the purpose of life? Why are they created? What are they supposed to be doing? Where did they come from and where are they going? Not where did the body come from. Their body came from its matter. We're not talking about the matter. The humanity of a human being is not the body. And we'll talk about that when we talk about worldviews and materialistic versus non-materialistic worldviews. Whether we can actually reduce a human being to matter or is it more than matter. As we said, there are distinctions. If you look at a society that decides to use only knowledge and no faith, the issues that happen, if you take it to the extreme, we have examples like wars. Like a country deciding to drop a bomb on another one. A nuclear bomb. That's progress without any faith. Nothing tells progress what's right and wrong. And you have the opposite. You can have a nation, a society, a community that decides to follow only faith and no reason. What happens then? What happens is that you have, one, absolutely no ability to live in the real world. You're unable to manipulate nature. And two, in the second meaning of reason that I'm going to talk about in a second, you're actually unable to filter through your faith. To say this part is faith and this part is not faith. This is superstition. This is myth. This is legends. This is culture. If you are unable to keep reason and faith together, there's something that's going to be missing. You want to live the full life of a human being, you need both. If one of them is missing, something is missing in your humanity. That part is clear? Okay. So, I don't want to spend too much time talking about everything else I had prepared, which is even the biggest... Some of the biggest thinkers who are considered atheists, who are considered scientists, who don't believe in religion, they always go back and they talk about something that they call faith. That they call people like Bertrand Russell, people like... These are, these are big philosophers who are against the idea of religion. They say humanity should have evolved beyond that now. We don't need that. And yet they say faith is still required in all human beings. If you want to limit yourself to this life, and you have nothing beyond it, 
even if it's just to pretend to have something beyond it, you're not going to be able to live a full life as a human being. Which I think we've talked already enough about. So what are the benefits that come from having faith or having this type of religious belief? The first one that we talked about already, so I'm just enumerating without explaining now. Alaykum as salam wa rahmatullah. It's something that tells you how you're supposed to live. And we'll come back to that in much further lessons. The second thing is that it gives you an ability to interpret your life. Interpret means you make sense of it. When an event happens, when you go through something, when you face a difficulty, you have a meaning behind it. And you're able to cope with it. That can only come from having a system that gives you that ability to explain what's happening. But beyond that, the biggest advantage of the religion that everybody agrees on, even those who say there is no God and there are no true religions, they agree with this point. And this point is that, and we have to break it down into sub-points, but the main point is that Religion gives you an optimistic or a positive outlook on life. This part, everybody agrees on. All the studies in psychology, all the studies in anthropology, all the studies on human beings agree that people who have religion, who have faith, have an optimistic or a positive outlook on life. And they explain that. One of the meanings, one of the reasons is the meaning that we just talked about. Another one is that you're able to look beyond yourself. If your outlook on life is materialistic and there is nothing beyond matter to you, yeah, you have parents who gave birth to you, but really there's nothing beyond that. There's no reason for you to sacrifice anything for anyone. There's no reason to have any higher causes for anything. Your life, the way you interpret everything, is that these are natural mechanical interactions. Your whole body is just chemical, physical interactions. If you feel something, it's because of that. If you don't feel something, it's because of that. And everything stops there. When you compare that to someone who has a belief system that, go, that will force them to go beyond the individual. There's a family, there's a society, there's a place in history, and there's a duty that comes with those. Your outlook on life changes completely. And people who think that, imagine someone who thinks that when you make or you do a, an effort that is good, good comes out of it, versus someone who says, your goodness or the goodness of your effort means absolutely nothing. It's only the outcome that matters. So I will do whatever it takes. Right? I will do whatever it takes to get to the outcome. Because who cares about the middle? The how I got to it. The how only has meaning to someone who has given it meaning. If someone believes that there's a reward for your goodness... It doesn't matter what the outcome is. You don't control the outcome. Outcome is in the hands of God. 
You can't control that you're going to be successful. Or you don't see what success looks like. Your reward, your responsibility is towards the part you control. The effort that you put in, that's your goodness. The Qur'an says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُضِيعُ أَجْرَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Again and again. Allah does not waste or lose the reward of those who do good. But when you do good, you may have a bad result at the end. If you don't believe that there is a reward for the goodness of trying to do it in the right way, why would you do it in the right way? Why is there a right way? That's your question. <laughs> who says that you have to do it without cheating? Who says you have to do it without stealing? Where does that come from? Today in these societies, where it comes from, and this is the part that no one really talks about, is because they are Judeo-Christian societies. Their entire system of laws and their entire philosophy comes from the Bible. And now with time, they're trying to remove those references. And they want to go towards becoming secular societies. They're not fully secular. They're not fully without religion. They're trying to become that. But if you read the way the constitutions are written, the laws are written, everything comes, everything has a first initial root in the Bible. That's the Western world. And if you go to other societies, you'll find the same thing. And the biggest problem they're going to have is where do you take the this is right and this is wrong part? It's right just because it's right? No one would do it. And we'll talk about that when we talk about morals. A human being will agree with you that this is right and this is wrong. But how many people are actually not going to do the wrong thing if there's no repercussions? What's the repercussion if I don't get caught ever? Or even if I get caught, I have all the power in the world and I have all the money in the world and I have everything and no one can question what I do. Why won't I do whatever I feel like doing? What stops me? That's the question. This is the, the how. This is the should I or shouldn't I? The how of how am I supposed to live? Not how nature works. Finally, maybe another point that is important, and I don't want to talk about the rest because it will get very repetitive, is we live in societies because we're supposed to be social creatures. If you look at other creatures who are social, bees and ants and cattle, they're all social creatures. But it's not very difficult for them to live in a social context because they have instincts. The way in which bees and ants live in a society hasn't changed since the day they've existed. If you go back 10,000 years, 20,000 years, 100,000 years ago, ants were living in the same kind of structure that they live today, socially. All the animals do the same thing socially that they were doing 10,000 years ago. What about human beings? Does it remain the same from one society to another? It changes all the time. Why? Because we have freedom. Because we have a free will and a free mind. 
and I get to choose if I like this structure, this social structure or not. And without going into more detail now, this will come much later, this is another role of faith and religion. That it gives you a kind of system that allows you to live as a society, to live as a family, to live as a community. There's a reason why. Because to live with someone else, you have to sacrifice. You cannot be fully yourself and do whatever you feel like doing all the time unless you agree on something. So where is that agreement coming from? So this can be a convention. People just get together and decide. Together we're going to decide this. No one will touch this. And that's it. Or there can be more. Which is usually what comes from faith. And this needs a very long discussion. So to finish off this topic. Let's now link it back to the main question that we asked last week. We said we would address today. So where does reason start and end? Reason is supposed to be the starting point for all the universal or what we call the existential questions of human beings. Which are what? Where do I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? These are the big questions of all humanity. Everybody wants to know those. Your initial looking into these questions is a rational exercise. Your reason is supposed to bring you somewhere. But here is the part that no one really talks about too much. So what is this reason we keep talking about? What can it do? Does reason actually create anything from nothing? And the answer is no. The human mind cannot create anything out of nothing. And I will challenge you to go and think and look and see if it can, if it has ever created something out of nothing. The human mind manipulates things that it has come in contact with. It takes things that it has seen and it can do amazing things with them. It can deconstruct them, take different parts and put them together in a different way, but it's always working with a with a something that came to it. So when we say human mind, when we say reason, what are we talking about? What we're talking about is your power of discernment. Your ability to distinguish between things. This is the amazing power of your mind. Your superpower as a human is to be able to distinguish between things. To distinguish between what? Between right and wrong. Your ability to right away pinpoint quickly or not so quickly, depending on how much practice you've had, when there are things that are contradictory. Your mind right away tells you these things are contradictory, unacceptable. You can't be here and not here at the same time. Contradiction. Doesn't work. Okay. So what happens? So you reason is basically what you use to analyze information. To analyze what comes to you from the world. So you have these questions. Where do I come from? How am I supposed to live? So you start looking at the possibilities. The possibilities are not created out of thin air. 
The possibilities are things that your mind manipulates. You're confronted with them and you do something with it. So the possibilities are, for instance, that there's a claim. Your brain, your mind can get you to God. Can get you to this world doesn't make sense without a designer, a creator, for instance. But it cannot go beyond that. Beyond that it says, that's it, I stop. It's outside of my ability, my control. And this is where we have to link it back to what is the territory, what is the scope that your mind can look at, and what's the rest? Where does it come from, the rest? So your mind gets you to, there's this claim, this person who claims that God sent him. Okay, before I talk to him, I have to think, is it possible that there is a God? Is it possible that this God actually sends people with a message to human beings? Does that make sense or not? They're claiming that they have a miracle to prove that they are a prophet. Does that make sense or not? What would be the criteria for this miracle to actually be a miracle to prove the prophethood? And then, okay, let's see what this miracle is. Can I apply the criteria to see if it still works or not? Okay, there are details in there that are coming. It's not my mind's creation. So what am I doing with my mind? I'm doing the discernment. I'm doing the distinction and someone will say, this is a charlatan. This is someone who's claiming he's fake. He's just trying to make money off me. He's trying to dupe me. He's trying to control me and dominate me. Or this is truth. This has to come from God. There must be a God. He must have sent someone. Must have sent someone with this miracle. This is a true miracle. Therefore, therefore, if they are claiming now everything else is in order and it works and my discernment was not able to find contradictions and weaknesses in it, then I say, okay, so what is your claim? What do you want me to do? And they'll say, I want you to pray five times a day. Uh, okay. Why not seven? This is the part that becomes the belief. It's not that I believe everything blindly. I have to have a whole infrastructure. I have to have a whole foundation that I have to build with reason, with very strict criteria on what works and what doesn't. So that when the claim comes, I have the tools to discern to distinguish between truth and falsehood. And then the details of it, that's the part that has to become the blind faith. The faith that tells me when you pray Salat al-Subuh, it's two raka'at. And this is how you do your prayer. Your human mind on its own can never reach that. Maybe your human mind can reach a point where it says there is a God, that God is personal, he sees you and hears you, and you have to worship Him. Purely philosophically, you could reach that. So how, how are you supposed to worship? Maybe your reason will say, I'll give you a ruwayah that was new to me, that when I read it, there's a ruwayah, Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, religion is not meant to be all reached by reason. If it were, then the wudu, when you do your wiping of your foot, you should be wiping the inside of the foot, not the outside. 
I'm not going to comment on this riwayah. To me, that was truly an amazing riwayah. It really hit me hard when I when I read it the first time. Because to me, he, the Imam Ali salam, and this is where you see the strength of, of the intellect. Basically, the Imam is saying, and see where our minds stop and where his would stop. He's basically saying, so there is a God. You have to worship him. The worship has prayer. And the prayer has a wudu. And the wudu has wiping of the feet. The Imam is saying all of this you could deduce purely rationally. But you reason at that point would say, and you must wipe the inside of the foot. And the Imam is saying, and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to wipe the outside of the foot. Okay, this, this requires a lot of thinking. Okay, I leave it with you as a, as a ruwayah. Okay, but basically this is where we see, this is the difference between what we call usul and furu'ah. The usul are the parts of religion that you're supposed to reach with your intellect, with your reason. And the furu' are the parts that you can rely on someone else or something else as a proof, not your own reason. Your reason gives you the usul and the furu' come out of them. But you have to reach the usul on your own, with your own rationality and with your own study and with your own proofs. And then there are parts of religion that are the furu'. It's not that there is no reason. It's that the role of reason changes. So when someone says this is religion and this is religion, you have to have tools to say which one is and which one isn't. Or maybe both aren't. Or maybe both are. For those things that are furu'. Our religion has made it easy for us and it has said for those things you're allowed to rely on someone else's proof. For the usul, you have to have your own proof. The furu' you're allowed, I'm going to give you a pass card. You're allowed to rely on someone else's proof. And what is this called? This is called taqlid. It's not that there is no proof it's not that it's complete blind faith. It's that if you want the full proof, you have to go talk to that person. Because it's going to take years and years of research and studying and becoming an expert before I decide how I can use an infrared light. I have to go talk to the person who has become an expert, a PhD in physics, to tell me what's happening with that light. And he'll just create it for me and I take it without even thinking. I buy a microwave and it tells me you're allowed to put this and this and this in it. Don't put that and that and that in it. And I rely on them blindly. I don't have my own proof for why I can put this in the microwave and not that in the microwave. I take their proof. They've become an expert. Or, if I feel like it, I become an expert myself. So I become an expert and I don't need anyone to tell me what I can and cannot put in a microwave. I'll just figure it out on my own because I'm an expert. I'll do my own experimentation and I'll figure it out. That's always a possibility. But maybe if everybody did that and everybody became an expert on microwaves, then we wouldn't have any experts on anyone, anything else. Right? And we wouldn't have cars and doctors and anything else. So that's what our religion has given us. Instead of looking into everything on your own, all the way, 
It said, the only parts that you need to look into for yourself are the parts that we call the usul, the fundamentals. Then the fundamentals get you to a system of belief where you can use your discernment and that part stays with you forever. Your ability to distinguish. Once you reach that, you see what religion says. And you take, you apply it to the fundamentals and then you have the details. The secondary layer of things in religion. Do you believe that Prayer is wajib? Yes. But how is it exactly supposed to be? How are your toes supposed to be pointed on the ground when you're performing the prayer? It's not part of the fundamentals. That's the details. It's not that it's not important. But compared to the importance of knowing that salah is wajib, it's secondary to know that how your toes toes are supposed to be on the ground. And for this part, you don't need to look into it yourself and spend five years of your life getting all the tools you need to see how your toes are supposed to be on the ground. So you can go to someone else who will tell you. And you can rely blindly on their proof, on their proof, not yours, so long as you continue to use your own system of rational beliefs to get to them. Make sense? That's all we had for today. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa tayyibin al-tahirin.